Hello again, and thanks for listening. I'm Chris Connor, and this is CC Life Science, a podcast about AI from discovery to the clinic and whatever else piques my curiosity. Recently, my curiosity was piqued around DOE, or Design of Experiments, something I'd heard about around 15 years ago in the context of chromatography method development, and then not again since then until... I saw a post on LinkedIn, which is how I found my two guests today. Let's jump into it, shall we? Okay, Klaus Gustafsson is the Chief Commercial Officer and Co-Founder at Atom Bio. Am I saying that right? Is that, or do you spell it out? The, the rule we have here is that whoever's uh, writing out the PO number can pronounce it any which way they want. Awesome. Formerly known, I will get this one right, as DNA 2.0. I got that one. That is correct. Atom yeah. offers an integrated pipeline of tools including gene design, optimization, synthesis, and a long list beyond that. So, Klaus, welcome. Thank you. And Marcus Gershader is the chief scientific officer, also a co-founder at Synthase. Synthase delivers a no-code lab automation R&D cloud to life scientists who want to innovate faster. Marcus, welcome. Thanks, Chris. And today's topic is design of experiments, also known as DOE. This is something I got curious about. I ran across this about 15 years ago at Varian in the context of optimizing chromatography methods and hadn't heard about it since until I saw these gentlemen discussing it on LinkedIn one day. And I thought, oh, what, what's going on with that? And how is it used in life sciences? So, um, Let's start off. Just describe uh, design of experiments for people who aren't familiar with what we're talking about here. Right. I mean, I think a good place to start is actually to describe what uh, DOE isn't, because this is what most people are familiar with, right? So um, if you go and look at the way that science is taught, you know, when people are eight or nine, um, then all of them will be taught that in order to see whether something's having an effect on a system, you need to hold everything else constant and just vary that one factor, right? And um, this is true to an extent, and it would be absolutely fine if then, you know, like that's how science was taught at, um, you know, years eight or nine, but then maybe we moved on a little bit in that science education as people progressed um, up into high school and onwards. Um, but the sad fact is that in, in general, people don't, right? So this now becomes conflated with the scientific method. If you are doing proper science, then you are doing one factor at a time and you're you know, very meticulously keeping um, every factor constant except for the one that you're investigating. Um, but actually what it turns out is that this is an oversimplification and you can have experimental designs that very systematically change multiple variables all at once and it can do it in such a way that you can still tell which of those factors is having the effect that you're observing within your system. It just has to be done in a highly structured uh, way, which conforms to you know, statistical experimental design. And it turns out that these designs, um, where you're altering many factors at once, have some dramatic advantages, particularly when you're dealing with biological systems. It, it, to, I think that uh, um, an, an angle on that, I think the nice thing would, if you change one factor in your system, you're asking the question, does your factor affect the system? That's really is variable selection. It's not really optimization. So I think um, 
it's a very powerful way of just looking, does my factor affect what I care about? Uh, the, the leap then what happens when you're going into really studying this is then it's a question of optimization. How does all these factors optimize my system for better something? And uh, at that point, uh, one factor at a time is just the most cumbersome and, 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 and slow way to, to address that question. And, and that's really where the power of, of the UE comes in for, for optimization of, of your system and identifying how these how do you search for the optimal space for the for the, the or or the improved yeah. space of? I mean, you could do just a quick thought experiment if you want to look. Fine. If you do a brainstorm and you think, hey, there's the ten different factors that might affect my experiment, and you do them one factor at a time, and every experiment takes a week, well, that's ten weeks. Um, but actually, if you do them all simultaneously, um, now DOE is often an iterative method, even then. But you're probably going to get it done in three weeks, and incidentally, you're going to get to a much better answer um, because particularly with biological systems, often the best setting for a particular factor will depend on the level of another factor, right? So like this is called a two-factor interaction. And when you're only investigating one, uh, each factor in isolation of all of the others, you'll never see those. So like, you know, a fundamental feature of biology is this kind of interaction. And you'll just never see that doing one factor at a time. So not only is DOE dramatically more um, efficient just at like screening through large numbers of factors and giving yourself that much more chance to find the productive area of design space. Um, but it's also allowing you to see these fundamental features of biology, which otherwise just remain completely um, opaque um, uh, with respect to one factor of time experiment. Um, so yeah, class and I um, go back quite a way um, talking about these things with each other uh, from from when really it was very unusual to hear other people talking about DOE at all. And these days it's starting to get a bit more traction and we're starting to see a lot more biologists getting switched on to this is the way to do things. Yeah, so let me see if I can summarize. I mean, because to me, this is the magic. If you, first of all, besides the speed factor of not taking 10 weeks, but maybe three, but had you done the 10-week experiment and picked the optimal case for each single variable and put all those together... It sounds like that might not be the actual best combination of thing of way to do things. It will be if you got really lucky. <laughs> right. Otherwise, it would be the wrong place, right? Yeah. <laughs> and of course, the biology and space is just immensely large. And certainly, biological space is is the, you know it blows your mind how big how big that is. I have this little uh, thought experiment I run every so often in my talks is when. If you look at a CDR of an antibody, which is uh, 10 amino acids, um, and then uh, so there are three CDRs in an antibody, and if you do the full, if you just make it the DNA that encodes that for uh, each of the amino acids, 20 options at, 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 at um, uh, uh, three times 10 residues, that's a large base. If you actually physically make all that DNA, that corresponds to, uh, I think the calculation is uh, 1 billion massive oil tankers just filled to the brim with DNA, just to salt, right? That's the size of that library. That's to find the best one in that space by chance. That's a, that's a lot of chance you got to go through, right? There's, uh, the space is, you know, it just blows your mind how quickly biological space explodes. And of course, in biology, you have all these, I mean, to some extent, it's a, it's a mystery that, we, that we're sitting here talking to each other. Like, but, and it tells you the power of, of evolution. So 4 billion years is, and, and selection pressure uh, is to search 
space that is, of course, much, much, much bigger than just the, the CDRs of antibodies. Um, but having the selective pressure and, and identifying smaller, small incremental steps in this massively uh, uh, DOE space is... is so uh, let's uh, go to my favorite, I mean, without slides, I realize this is a high-level thing, but describe how without testing every value at every variable, you can get a picture of that space and predict an optimal method. And, and of course, just to be clear, it sounds like you get to decide what's optimal, like you prioritize those variables and what do we think is the best outcome would look like. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take a stab at this and then you can um, step in and you go ahead, Marcus. Uh, clarify class. So um, if, you, if you think about a really simple system, right? So, well, from DOE terms, a simple system, right? So we're gonna look at six factors simultaneously and we want to look at each one of those factors at two levels. Right. So essentially, you end up with like this six dimensional hypercube. Right. And I have a beautiful slide for this, but like none of you guys can see it. Um, and now if we wanted to look at every level of those two levels for each of those factors, then it would be two to the power six um, because we're looking at six factors. So that's 64 different um, combinations. And, you know, usually when people first come into DOE, then the comfortable thing they find is to do every combination because they're worried that otherwise um, they're going to miss something. Um, but one of the key important principles of design of experiments is that um, another word for it is, uh, or another term for it is optimal experimental design. You're trying to learn the most with the least number of experiments. So what we're always trying to do is we're trying to use the minimum number of experiments that's going to tell us what we need to know. And so if you were to run every single one of those um, design points, then you're not just asking which factor is important. You're not just asking which two-factor interactions might there be. You're actually saying, I'm going to test for a six-factor interaction. Right. So this is an incredibly deep level of interactions in a system, one that we've never seen before within Synthase, just to be clear, um, you know, and we've run very uh, dense designs over many, many factors. And the most we've seen is a four factor interaction. So this is where, so a three factor interaction is basically a two factor interaction, the nature of which changes on the basis of the level of a third factor and so on, right? So it just gets more and more complex. To put it another way, if you're to run all of those 64 experiments, you're saying that you think that irrespective of what happens in all of 63 of those runs, one of the 64, uh, the 64th is going to behave in a completely non-predictable way, right? And so what you can actually do is you can do what's known as a fractional factorial design where you systematically and very carefully pare down these designs so that then maybe you can run 16 of these runs or 32 of them or, or some other fraction. And that will still then allow you to identify which the most critical factors are and maybe some of the most uh, important interactions within that system. So, you know, there's a certain pragmatism, I guess, in here. We're not trying to go completely exhaustive because, you know, going exhaustive in an exponentially increasing system um, gets um, uh, limiting very, very quickly. You know, I mean, the, the number of runs that you can typically do with complex biological systems is at most in the like low thousands. I would say. Um, and so you're talking maybe 10 factors, um, you know, and we're, the, the most factors we've run at Synthase is 27. And there's no way you could do two to the 27 runs. It's just not going to happen. But, but also I think that um, the, 
absolutely, 100% agree. The other side of that coin, and, and really the key point that you mentioned, Mark, is I think that the, the goal really is how can you capture as much information as possible from as few data points as possible, right? That's, that's the whole thing. That's the, that, that really comes to, to efficiency of the system, right? So, of course, then it depends on, uh, at the end of the day, it's all cost-benefit analysis, right? So, what is the gain, what's the uh, monetary gain of, of optimizing your system? And if, the bigger that gain is, the more value is it to go after deeper and deeper uh, correlations in this data set. Um, on one hand, the other side of that coin, you can turn that around and say, okay, what, how, how much gain do I need to get in order to commercialize my, my output, right? So uh, if you're optimizing a, a, you know, a, an antibody for binding to some target and minimizing PK values and all these different things, you may not, you're, you're, you're probably not interested in getting the best in this space that is, you know, 10 to the 50 or something stupid. There's no point in, in finding the best solution because all you need to do is, is have a solution that is sufficiently large that you create a commercial product that you can take to market. Uh, and that's the, that's the delta that you, that you truly care about. And then, so you want to optimize that for, on one hand, if you just take the simple example of an antibody, you want to make sure it's, it, it certainly binds to your target at, at the uh, KD that, you, that, that makes it relevant. And you want to make sure that it can be produced at a titer that is high enough in your CHO system. And you want to make sure it's uh, has a, a TM, a melting temperature, that is above a certain degree. And you want to make sure it doesn't aggregate uh, at a concentration of X and, 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 and you probably want to have a cell-based assay. I mean, who cares if it binds? What you truly care about is does it, does it shrink the tumor, right? And to measure tumor shrinkage, that's a, that's a very complicated assay. There's no way you're going to do that in the thousands. I mean, you may not even be able to do that in the hundreds, right? depending on the assay. You, this may be something you can do in the tens just because of the cost of that. So at the end of the day, it's not, we're not, trying to build a map that covers all this massively large complex space. We're trying to find a solution that is sufficient to fit all the optimal whys, um, all the optimal outputs that you care about, that still drives you to the point where you can commercialize the endpoint, right? And going back to Marcus's point, <clears throat> in biology, you see lots of places where you have uh, two factors and certainly three factors and, and onwards, but the, the more complicated it gets, the, the, the statistically, the, the likelihood of that happening is, I guess, is, is lower and lower. And at some point, you just say, you know, you, 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 as long as I reach my goal, I'm, I'm, I'm happy going forward. I want to back up through what both of you just said. So um, what I like about what Klaus said, two things that stand out to me, and we'll go further into those, is one, you know, the commercial application of this. I mean, as you say, this is a cost-benefit analysis. This is about making money. Two, you mentioned a number of the variables in, in at least one type of experiment that we might think about biologically, which is beyond what I would have thought. And then going back to what Marcus said about analyzing multiple factors, and apparently you can tell from the data that you've never seen more than a four-element interaction. Um, even though there may be many more. And then I'm assuming because of that, then now you, when you iterate, 
have you reduced it to those four and you're, you're massaging those and can essentially ignore the others? Right. I mean, I think, you know, iteration is a key part of this, right? It's rare that you're going to be running an experiment, which is going to give you the entire, uh, uh, you know, get to that commercial goal or give you the whole answer in one in one hit, um, just because of the sheer complexity of what we're doing. And so, you know, we, we have this, uh, obviously, advantage in experimental biology that you can define the data points that you want next, right? So you can walk your way through a particular design space. Um, so what you asked about there is like, okay, so can you just focus all in on the um, on the factors which, you know, popped up before. And certainly with the kind of optimizations we do and we've done historically, um, the answer is almost always no, right? And it's because, um, like, you have to keep applying your brain at the same time. So I'll give you an example, right? So we're really early doors in the company. We were optimizing the expression of a protein, right, in a microbial system. And so you've got all sorts of factors there, but one of those factors is how long you're leaving it there to make that protein, right? A very, very simple factor. And it's the factor that popped out is by far the biggest one in our first screen, along with a few others. So you might just say, hey, just take that one and the few others that, that popped up and just increase the amount of time and you're going to get to where you want to go. But then as biologists, we know that the longer you leave stuff, the more it's going to then eat through all the stuff in your media, Right. So it doesn't make sense to increase the a scope of the amount of time that you're leaving something and not also keep media factors in there to see if they're starting to become limiting. Um, so, you know, I, I often say, you know, DOE is not a, a, an excuse for not thinking. Right. If, <laughs> if not, if, I would say, actually, what it tends to do is it tends to mean that you have to think about your system to a depth and granularity that you're not used to before. You know, when you're just looking at one factor at a time, you just go for the most likely looking factor. It's like, hey, I think temperature is important. I'm going to investigate that first. Time is going to be important. I'll investigate that next. If you can investigate 27 factors simultaneously, you spend a long time thinking about which 27 factors you're going to be looking at. Or in, in the case of class, I know they uh, uh, spend a huge amount of, you know, uh, computation and analysis to work out which uh, residues they're going to be optimizing. Because, you know, which ones you choose, that's going to be limit the scope of your experiment, right? And if you get that bit wrong, well, you're just not going to get anything, right? And, and, it, and it, it also comes a question of, you know, within the scope of, in this case, uh, time, right? So you say, okay, time is the most important factor. And you have probably two, maybe three points in that. You have 10 minutes, an hour, and five, four hours or something, right? Those are the limits, and then you see if four hours is best. Does that mean five hours is better? But it's outside of your training set. You have no idea. It's just you can make the exemption. You can draw that line and say, okay, clearly based off of this, 100 hours is my ideal because it's way outside. But but you don't really have the data to support that. You only have the data to support that uh, um, one hour is worse than, than four hours or whatever it is that you have in your system. And then that's your training set. Now, of course, the obvious question for your next round is – is can I move my, my window? Can I, okay, let's do two hours, four hours, and 10 hours or whatever it is, right? And then and, and expand that in, in the combination in conjunction with all the other variables. But but to, to, to Marcus's point, I think there, I always think about it as, as two bags, right? One bag is variable selection. How do you even know which variables are relevant, right? Is it temperature or is it uh, time or is it, you know, day of the week or, or shoe size of the, uh, of the experimenter? 
um, and and that's really where the domain expertise comes in. That's where you'd have to talk to people who are experts in their field, who've been banging their head against this wall for decades, and they they know what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. And I think it's uh, <clears throat> that's a huge resource of of of, of uh, just experience that we. Uh, we need to take advantage of and then but once you identify those variables and you rank order and sort them by whatever it means uh, then the DOE comes in okay so how do you search that space how do you find the optimal in that space how do you combine and and the other thing that you see at that point is also and we see this all the time when we have projects customers say well Valen in position 68 is critical for this protein like absolutely this is there's been papers since the 50s about this Valen and I'd say more than more than not, do do we show that that valent has nothing to do with it? It's just some artificial stuff that has happened in, in his. So the DOE is fantastic at just sorting through all those variables and identify the ones that are being brought to the attention by spurious experiments in the past that turns out to be garbage and um, and actually things that are real, right? And I think that. A big value of DOE is not only just optimizing for the different variables, but A, she's identifying which variables do play a part, and B, uh, actually, if it models, that means it's real data. If it doesn't model, we have garbage, and su uh, surprisingly often we have garbage, and it turns out it's because often in biology you have these projects that we, people do, you know, phases play or something, you look at 10 to the 8 molecules and you find a winner, and and it turns out very often you start looking at that and do actually proper DOE and it turns out it doesn't model. It means it's just it's just noise in the system and, and you can dig down that rabbit hole a long, long time before you realize that there's nothing there. Yeah, so, I mean, just eliminating crap. I mean, obviously, I don't think anybody's a stranger to the fact that there is much biology that you know, we think is true that might not be and this is a way to yeah. sort of get a better better picture. All right. So we mentioned, you know, along this conversation, you know, time, temperature, show cells, whatever, what other, um, talk about the kinds of processes that can be optimized and some of the factors just with examples, perhaps from your own work, just to give Great. people a, a sense of, because I didn't know I could do this. Oh, I can test all those. The, the simple answer to that is, um, pretty much every biological process that I've come across, um, which sounds like I'm massively overselling it. So let me unpack that a little bit. You know, DOE is, you know, no more, no less a framework for investigating a design space, right? So it means that, you know, if there are relevant variables that you can identify and there are sensible levels that you can set those variables to, um, then DOE can provide you a um, experimental design, which then allows you to optimize for it. And I've I've had people, you know, say, "Oh, but you've done this in microbial systems, but it won't possibly apply to my mammalian cell system, or whatever." Right? And then, you know, sure enough, a few years down the line, we have, you know, companies using our software to do absolutely incredible DOEs in mammalian cell systems, and you know, cutting massive amounts of uh, cost off their media and, and massive amounts of time. Um, of their development, uh, the media development times. Um, and so there, there isn't anything that I've come across. And in fact, if there was one thing that, 
you know, if you'd asked me when, you know, when we first founded Synthase, um, uh, you know, is, uh, what area do you think um, DOE would struggle on, then I'd say, hey, optimization of genetic system. And that's just because, you know, they are these kind of weirdly digital systems where they are just so ridiculously unpredictable, right? You know, you, you know, I, I think of DOE as being able to deal with a design space that's relatively smooth and predictable, right? So if you, if you um, see, oh, in this corner of this particular design space, things are higher, then I move towards that corner and I'll, I'll get higher and higher as I iterate, right? Whereas I always view DOE, uh, sorry, DNA sequences as being a hell of a lot more stochastic and unpredictable than that. And so I couldn't see the smooth path that you might follow as you iterate through that design space. Um, and then when I spoke to class, I realized that I was completely wrong, which is often a delightful thing to realize, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, but I'll let class describe um, what they do there. Well, I, 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 Marcus is absolutely right. Everything at the core of it, everything is DOE, right? Everything can be applied for DOE. I mean, you could, um, I had a, 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 an old friend of mine, um, Lennart Eriksson, back in Sweden, the beautiful DOE experiment that he published on with his, uh, I think at the time, five-year-old son, where they looked at how to optimize uh, um, making popcorn in the microwave. So I have these boxes and you can have different settings and different times. And it's a very, and it's a beautiful publication. Um, if you do a Google search, you'll find it. And, and they uh, optimized the, the setting and the time frame. And, and then the key point was, of course, you know, what's the, what is the gain? Do you want to have all popcorns popped or do you want to have as few fried ones as possible? And, and I, I don't, you know the quality of the of the outcome, and, and, that, and that's that, that was, and they did a DOE of that. We had someone else who did a beautiful DOE just for the fun of it. Some intern here on uh, how to drive to work, right? They can ah. take path B or take path A, and you and there are all the different paths you can go, and and then time is one issue, right? And stress is another issue. Do you have is red light adds a lot of error bars? That of course adds some complexity. And, and and it's it's a DOE, right? So it's just a systematic variance on how to optimize your system. And again, is is it speed or is it cost of uh, gasoline uh, or is it uh, uh, you know uh, time of the day or all these different parameters? Um, so every time you're optimizing something, you are a fool for not doing it using proper DOE. <laughs> yeah. Right? So that uh, last example is not too far out. I don't know if you guys probably know this, but UPS optimizes their routes to minimize left-hand turns, right? So they're not sitting waiting at a light. Maybe in the UK, they minimize right-hand turns. Right. Right. So, um, no, I love that, those examples. I guess my, you know, my whole bias on it came from chromatography where it's, I would say chemistry is a little bit more straightforward than biology, even though I'm a biologist, but like we have columns, we have solvents, we have time, pressure, whatever, you know, and I could see that. And then I thought, biology, are you kidding me? There's so many things, but um, it makes. But, but it's, I think it's interesting. That's a good point. I think that um, for when I, when I talk to this, uh, my, my little spiel, uh, and I talk to people who come from a sort of chemical engineering background, they're just so bored. They start checking their inbox because they've heard this 100,000, that this is entry level. This is like a chemical engineering 101. People who make media and people like that, they, they live and die DOE. They, this is what they do, right? Um, but in our little pocket of the world, we're biologists. And I think biologists are typically people who are 
science driven and interested in science, they end up in biology. But the reason to come to biology instead of chemistry or, or physics is because they, they don't like math, right? So we end up having all these sciences, and I'm including myself in this in this tribe, that are um, allergic to to math. And somehow DUE has this concept that, that it's it's very there's a lot of math involved, but it's it's a separate discussion. Marcus can take that later. But uh, so you end up talking to a biologist about DUE, and they think you're you know speaking Martian or something. It's just a completely different language and different way of looking at the data uh, because we're so trained in being in this whole deductive reasoning of how, how things work, right? So you, 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 you have a model and you have figure out how to how all these bits and pieces fit into that model. Uh, whereas if you come from the world of chemical engineering or, or computer science, it's all inductive reasoning. Right? Here's my huge data set. What, how, what correlates with what? And how do I find this, a solution in that space? And it's just fundamentally, uh, I think, uh, um, a problem we have in the world of biology. As, as, as biology is moving from historically, it was all looking at, you know, oh, that's a moose and that's an elk, and they're different because they have this and that. Right? It's very sort of categorizing and taxonomy in that perspective. And what we're looking at now uh, in um, 2023 is, you know, KBs and KBs of gene sequence, of DNA sequence, of, of amino acid sequences, of, of uh, uh, pixels in, in um, diagnostics of lung tissue, whatever it is, right? All these different things. It's very, very data heavy. And it's just this data barrage come into biology that didn't exist before and here we're sitting with with people who are used to sorting cows from from mooses and it's just a, it's a complete disconnect and 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 educational perspective and i think that's really been driven very largely by um by dna discovery and and um, and just the whole concept of quantitative biology that didn't exist just 15 20 years ago yeah so I want to, that's a good segue to the next thing. I mean, I grew up doing bacterial genetics 40 years ago and, you know, one experiment at a time, micropipette. I don't know if, you know, massive experiments the way have been able by automation now, like was even possible back then. But so now I starting to appreciate, you know, I met Marcus at SLAS and how much automation actually goes on in other parts of the world, at least outside of academia. What kind of automation and software is required to make this happen? Hmm. Um, well, actually, um, you know, in its most basic form, none, right? I mean, like, um, you know, this this was this is a method that was come up with in the 1930s on an agricultural research station, right? So, like, you know, this was before, um, you know, any kind of software or any kind of automation. Um, it is a statistical framework, right? But then if you're going to not use any software at all, then you have to know the math, right? And, uh, you know, but... Which um, we just talked about avoiding. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, at, at the least, I would say for easy access, I'd say that you need a stats package of some sort that's going to spit out your experimental design that then you can go into the lab and um, and carry out and then get the data and then plug it back into the stats package and then build a model. Um, and, you know, this is what I was doing when I first did um, DOE, you know, my first DOE was 32 shake flasks. Um, and, uh, they were a real pain to, to do. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I followed the design as was uh, spat out by the software I was using at the time, which was Design Expert, which is like just a really nice, easy um, bit of software to use that gives you the design that you want to do. Um, plugged it back in again, got my results, was blown away and iterated another couple of times and got the got the project that I uh, was uh, meant to be spending four months uh, on done in three weeks. And, um, you know, like the, the the rest is history. I've been a DOE evangelist ever since. But like, you know, that's that's kind of your minimal starting set, if you like. But what we found over the course of like synthase history is that as you get for more and more complex experimental designs, then the challenge of executing those goes up and the challenge of analyzing them, of like even just getting all the data together, right? Like biologists spend an inordinate amount of time in most labs copy pasting data into Excel spreadsheets, um, right? And this just gets untenable. You know, if you've got like these hugely complex experimental designs with loads of time points and this kind of thing, then you end up, you know, not, not doing an experiment every week, but an experiment every two months or something just because of the sheer complexity of it. Um, so that's when, you know, you need to start using um, more sophisticated ways of both running those experiments, um, you know, planning how you're going to run those experiments, running the experiments, and then analyzing them afterwards. So the way that we have that set up is that, um, you know, you can essentially upload the experimental design up the front end of our software. It then spits out the automation instructions that will carry out that DOE for you. But then because we know what's gone on in the experiment, when data is produced, we know how each one of those data points was produced. And so you can automatically structure the data afterwards as well. And, you know, the reason we built this platform is, you know, exactly what we've been talking about for the uh, entire podcast up to this point. It was so that we could do the experiments that would actually help us to unlock the complexities of the biology we were looking at. Um, but, you know, I mean, all it means is that you can take these same principles and, and do them more powerfully. Like, like I say, you know, you can, you can get started with relatively minimal um, stuff, you know, I mean, you can, and if you, if you know a bit of coding like R or something like that, you can get all of the designs for free as well. You don't even need to get a commercial st statistics package. Yeah. And I think absolutely. I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier. I think that, that, the way biology is changing is from a, 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 a science where we stare at things to a, a science where we can actually engineer this on, on, <clears throat> um, at a drop of a hat. And of course, that forces us to 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 really bring in computational science and and um, because there's so much more data, right? Uh, so we have here internally here at Adam, we have I think I don't know ten or twelve full-time programmers who do nothing else but build and design and optimize and tweak and maintain our underlying limbs and our underlying databases and make sure that that's all integrated in the DOE and all the perspective. And to Marcus's point, the math's been there for forever, right? I mean, basically, you talk about the R.A. Fisher and the, I usually, I my reference is usually there's an R.A. Fisher paper from, I think, um, 19, uh, 1920 yeah. or something. That's my that's my go-to uh, R.F. Fisher reference, but of course R.F. Fisher was based off basically Aristoteles <laughs> and Plato and those guys back in the, you know forever. It's all it's just it's just numbers, but be able to do that at the scale and at complexity and at uh, a throughput of today's um, laboratory science, you're forced to do that using uh, software, just like anything else. I mean, there's nobody sits down and writes a, a news article on a, a pit pen and paper anymore right? it's just all 
because it's all software driven. That's that's just the way the, the the world we live in. And biology is part of of that same world. So we need to step up all that. Uh, it should and it is now. I think that in, in if you take uh, bio one one in in um, most universities, you you're forced to do some um, R programming. And you're forced to do a little bit of Python. Right? It's just it didn't exist at my time. Back in my days, I mean, if you're doing Excel, you were like way ahead of the this game. Now, if you're doing Excel, you're probably not allowed to come back into the lab. You're, you're, it's, it, it, we, we are trying to kill everyone who's using Excel in the lab. or just got a red flag on them because it's not that's it's it's not a f um, system that you can really drive throughout the company and and. Um, it's just the way we deal with science throughout, not only biology, but I don't know, if you're making roads or whatever, you've got to have the computational tools to, to, to drive that, to optimize it, to fix it, to sort, to store, to catalog. And that is part of what's happening, I think, in the big part of biology right now is just, just digitizing that whole process. And you talk to basically every uh, large bio, uh, biotech company today, they have major efforts in digitizing their process, right? How do you even know what's in the freezer? How do you, well, what's the origin of this tube, right? And you go to any Pfizer or any, uh, you know, even small company, they need to digitize that whole thing. And it just 10 years ago, that was, uh, didn't really exist. It was just someone put in a notebook, said, this tube <laughs> A4 on this shelf 16 has this content. Yeah, what does that even yeah mean? and I can imagine it's just going to grow from here. So I'm going to wrap up on this. I was going to ask you, like, how widely is this used? We've gotten some examples. And, you know, as a biologist, we think about, as you, for example, you said, you know, let, let's optimize an antibody. But if you are a commercial company, you know, the media might be more expensive than actually figuring out which, right? Good. Uh, you're using that all the time um, with probably a lot of inexpensive ingredients and then some parts that are very expensive. So um, where do you see opportunities? And I want to know, like, who's who's not using this that should be or who can whose mind can we open to go? Oh, I had to be doing that. Like. A media, that's uh, you, that's you, Marcus, well, I mean, all you. Like you know, who, who should be using this? Who isn't using this? Unfortunately, it's most biologists, right? Um, you know, I mean, I think um, we, what, what's gratifying is in just the last couple of years, we've seen a real upswell of interest in this area. Like, you know, 10 years ago, when class and I were first uh, chatting about these things, then it was a delight to find anyone else out there who knew what this was all about. And like, you know, that, that shared this passion for doing science in a dramatically more effective way. Um, but these days, a hell of a lot more people are hearing about it, a, a huge amount more people want to do it. Um, and, you know, there's this big sort of upswell of, of interest in the area, which I find very, very encouraging. And so, you know, I mean, we've already covered like we reckon that every every part of uh, biology, if there's something that needs optimizing, or e even in a lot of cases, if there's just something that needs investigating in more uh, in more detail, um, you know, to truly understand a biological system, you'll often need to understand the interactions. So I think there's a place for DOE in a huge amount of biological research. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm kind of very excited about this wave of um, change, which seems to be just beginning um, going through the industry. It's been a long time coming. 
Yeah, and I think it's, it, it, biology now is so much about engineering biology, than, and, and that's by making a better media or making a better antibody or making a better uh, what have you, uh, enzyme or, or chemical process or whatever it is. And anytime you're doing that, um, you can do it uh, the stupid way or, or the not stupid way. Those are two options, right? And I think over time, everyone will go towards the, the not so stupid way. And it goes go back again. It's like if you want to optimize how you get to work in the morning, that's DOE is the way to do it. Or you can randomly take any road you can think of and, and catalog that over 10 years. Or you can build a DOE. Those are your two options, right? And it's, it kind of goes for making a media or making a, a, an enzyme or, or whatever you want to do. So uh, clearly, I think that uh, over time, this will uh, has to take over the entire biotech field. I, I think the big question is your your question should be who should not be using DOE. I think that's a that's a more relevant question. All right, let me have it. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you're just doing um, uh, if you're a, a, a sort of a proper old school. Uh, biologist and you're out there studying things that you don't try to engineer, you're not trying to improve anything, you're just uh, observing and, and cataloging. Um, you know, I, I can see places where there may be value in, in DOEing something, but it, it's not, that's not really the purpose here. But if you want to, uh, but that's just for cataloging all the shells on the seashore or something. Um, whoever sells those seashells to the seashore, <laughs> those, those could have that being cataloged. But uh, um, <laughs> That's a different, that's a um, taxonomy-driven science, not necessarily an engineering-driven science. Yeah. All right, I'm going to wrap it up here. Marcus Gershader and Klaus, thank you so much. Uh, this has been a blast for me, I mean, and uh, I'm looking forward to publishing this. I think people are going to find it very Thanks interesting. Thank you very much. My pleasure. We had a few recording glitches that you may have heard at the end. Thanks again to Klaus Gustafsson and Marcus Gershader for a fun and inspiring conversation. My next episode is with Chris Steele from IQVIA when we'll talk about wrangling multiple AI projects in a large organization and how some of those projects are helping identify people with rare disease. Until then, please share the pod with your colleagues and subscribe to my Substack, cclifescience.com. Dot substack.com. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>